You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. our time of worship and spending time in God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in Christ and through faith in Christ, we can approach you with both freedom and confidence. That, Lord, we are free to come before you boldly because our sins are forgiven because of Christ's death and resurrection. We have... uh, a boldness and an assurance that, Lord, in Christ and through faith in Christ, we are secure, we are significant, we are accepted. And those things are just treasures that are so huge for ourselves, for our families, for our community. And, Lord, will be treasures for eternity. Lord, as we look at your word today, I pray that you will open our minds and even more importantly, open our hearts. There will not I will not say something, Lord, today that necessarily will be unique or never heard before, but it is still your word, your word to us as Red Sea, as as families, as individuals in this place, in this time. I pray that you help us overcome the the distractions of the, the past week and the coming week with Christmas. A lot of things to do, a lot of things to get done, just our minds racing with with in our hearts sometimes with things that we look forward to and some things we dread maybe but lord let us be here in this moment in this time to receive your word we just thank you for this and um, we just give you the glory in your name we pray amen we've been going through the advent conspiracy for the past four weeks so this is the fourth week i say we talked about uh, worship fully to spend less give more and today we're going to talk about love all Love all. As I thought about love, um, I was thinking about that's a very broad concept for a lot of us. It's just—it's one of those words that just has huge meaning or different aspects of it. So, as if I asked you to say, think about what is love. What are kinds of things that come to your mind? I mean, I have a couple images here I want to show you. Maybe these are the things that come to your mind. So, the first image. Anybody know who that was, that couple is? Romeo and Juliet. See, you know who it was. Oh, that's only over there. Okay. I'm looking over here. Um, yeah, that's Romeo and Juliet. Everybody knew it. You recognized them by his leotards, didn't you? So, um, on the balcony, every picture I saw of Romeo and Juliet, not that I searched for dozens of them, but I put in Romeo and Juliet, they're on a balcony kissing. So I've, apparently that's the epitome of romantic love, sitting on a balcony uh, kissing. So um, there, there's other kinds of love, though. There's another one. Let's look at the second image of love. For some of you, it doesn't show up well. It's supposed to be black on white. I'm not sure why it's reversed. But that's the I Heart New York. Okay? For some of you, you get all tingly when you hear that, right? (laughs) What do we... (laughs) One of us. No. No. Okay. Well, I mean, I remember when that first was launched many, many years ago as an ad campaign for New York. It's a tourist ad campaign. I love New York. Just peppered. I don't know about the West Coast, but the East Coast was peppered with that. Still is peppered with the I love New York. It's, they're using love basically for commercial gain. Come here, we'll make it fun for you, but we, it's because we love New York. And there's another, other forms of love. So who's that? A universal picture of a woman, right? And everybody knows who she is, and everybody knows what she represents. A different kind of love, a sacrificial love, a giving love of people in need who could not pay her back but yet she gave and sacrificed and talked and wrote a lot about love uh, in, her, in her lifetime and is recognized as a, a universal uh, international symbol for love because of her things. Those are three kinds. So we're done with the images. Those are three kinds, very basic kinds of love. So when I was starting to think about love, I decided to define love. Where do you think I went to define love? Wikipedia. That's right, of course. 
I went to Wikipedia, of course, the bastion of all proper definitions, and I got love. Now, love is a number of things, and I, and I, I want to just tell you what they said because they're true. That's right, not just because it's Wikipedia, but love has a multiple dimensions of it. Now, love is an emotion, a strong affection, a personal attachment. That's true. Love is an emotional thing. You don't love without an emotion involved in it, whether it's a, another person or a thing or an action. Love is also something that's a virtue, representing kindness and compassion and affection. It's an unselfish, loyal benevolence and concern for somebody else. And we, again, would recognize love as that benevolent characteristic. A person's a loving person. It's a character quality they have. They show kindness and compassion to those. But love is also defined in another way. It's described as an action towards somebody. If we love, it's, it's usually expressed it's usually there's an action. We don't love necessarily from afar. You can. But usually love is expressed in some way. It's an action. Love is, as songs, as many songs, whether you're DC Talk or John Mayer, love is a verb, right? Love is a verb. We do those things. So as we talk about today, and I start thinking about we're supposed to, to, to love all, this is where I say, okay, you guys, get out there and love everybody all the time. We're done, right? Yep, we're done, okay? Uh, no, I'm Okay? Love all. Is it, is it complicated for us to know that we're supposed to love other people, even people we don't know or in deep need? No. Are, are Christians unique in recognizing that? No. Not by any stretch of the imagination. People all over the world give time and energy sacrificially in expressing love to other people, and we're not, we don't have a corner on that market. So when we say we're supposed to love people, what makes us any different? Whether we're loving other people at Red Sea or our families or the people in our jobs, our schools, the homeless person on the street corner or the people who need water in Africa or Asia, what makes Christian love any different than anybody else's love? And that's what I want to talk about today because there is a difference, but the difference is not us. The difference is God. The difference is what he has done for us. That makes our love a bit different than the rest of the world's. Our theme verse for today and unfortunately, we don't have, because of some technical glitches, the verses are not going to be up on the screen, the one screen that's working, as you can see, the glitches. So I'm going to be walking through a passage of 1 John chapter 4. So if you, need, if you have a phone, pull it out. If you have a Bible, pull it out. If you need a Bible, we have a couple extras here. So uh, Lance would be more than happy to share a Bible with you if you need one that you want to walk through. I'm going to walk through 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And I like and my style of preaching and the way I like to do it, I like to point to the verse and say, see here, this is what it says. So that's why it's important that you have a Bible open to you. And if not, you can hear. Because I will be reading it to you. Now the theme verse doesn't come from that passage. 1 John chapter 4. Verses 7 through 12. Now, my theme verse, the, the premise of my, the message, comes from a little later in chapter 4, in verse 19, where John says this. He says, we love because he first loved us. That's, that's the premise. That's what I want to walk, you to walk away with today. Why do we love? We love because he, God, first loved us. That's why. That's the reason behind our loving each other, the world, Whatever it is, it's because we love because he first loved us. Now, that isn't part of an explanation that he begins earlier in the chapter. Actually, the whole book is about this. But early in the chapter, verses 7 through 12, and I'm going to start with just walk through verse by verse and talk about why should we love? What is it about God's love that helps us to love? If you look at verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Notice that, that John begins with the word beloved. Beloved, it's a, it's a word of, a term of endearment. It, it's something he says. Basically, he's saying, hey, loved ones, you have received loved, you who are loved, I have something to tell you. This is a term of identity. We have talked about identities with pathways. We are servants of Christ. We are family together. We are ambassadors for Christ to the world. Those are our identities that tell us what to do. John is given another identity. There's numerous ones in the New Testament. This is says who we are. We are, as believers in Christ, the beloved. 
the loved ones. God has loved us. That makes us loved. And it's not that we are lovable. It's that we are loved. And that's our identity. So he begins, first of all, with our identity. You are loved. And therefore, I have something to tell you. And he goes on, and, and this idea of being loved isn't just new. For in 1 John, a little earlier in 1 John, he says, see what, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We, we are different. We're the beloved ones because we are the children of God, those who responded to the gospel. In Ephesians, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. So again, the idea that we're beloved, because we are loved, we should love. That's our identity is one part of this. And this but that leads to a command. Let us love one another. That's the imperative. That is an English word, fancy English word, teacher word for command. The command of our passage is love one another. This is, this is what you need to do, people. We need to love one another. That's the task at hand. That's the verb as an action. And this is not new. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised to love one another. Jesus spoke often to love one another. When he was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. So the whole Bible is really about loving God and loving other people, is the way Jesus summarized it, in love. Jesus also said that, he said, he gave them a, a new command I give you, that you should love one another just as, this is what makes it new, just as I have loved you, so also you love one another. By this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's the key characteristic in that passage that Jesus says of his disciples? That the world, not each other, the world out there will know that we name the name of Christ is the way we love each other. That love. Why? Because we are the beloved and we love each other. And then in that verse 7, he goes on and says that the what we're supposed to do is to have the command. Love one another. The why, he just gives a quick summary statement. He says, for love is from God. It comes from God. Those who, whoever loves has been born to God. That means you're a Christian. And they know God. Well, he, he then spends the next couple of verses unpacking that. He, he lays those out a little bit more detail. So, when we look at this, we're going to look at five reasons we can love others because he loved us. The theme is we love because he first loved us. Now, he's going to give us five reasons that's true, why we can love other people. Firstly, uh, we can love others because God is the source. God's love is the source of love. We can love other people because God's love is the source of love. If you look at verse 8, Verse 8, he says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. It's probably one of the few things that everybody who, who even believes in God would agree that God is a, supposed to be a loving God. That's what God does. He loves. Uh, and you don't have to be a Christian again to say that God is love. Very few people would argue that. In fact, a lot of people are banking their futures on God is love, and that if he loves me, everything will work out okay. But and in this, he, um, God is love is more. There's more depth to it than simply God is love. And by the way, saying that God is love is, is true. It's biblical. It's right there. God is love. But the opposite, the reverse of those words is not true. Love is God is not true. In our world, we want to say, hey, if we just love each other, it's okay. It's sort of the divine aspect of humanity. No, love is not God, but God is love. Well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, love is an attribute of God. We use the word attribute. It's a characteristic. It's a, it's a truth. It's a, it's a, it's a quality, a, a perfection. It's part of the very nature of God. Love is part of God's very nature. Um, he, he emanates, um, these, his love emanates. It's part of who he is. It's, he's, and it's not dependent on an object to love. It comes from him. He doesn't look around for lovable things, and therefore I have love. He is love, therefore he always has had love. And he exercises his love in conjunction with all his other attributes. One of the things unique about God, in that all times and all places from eternity past to eternity future, everything that's true about him is always true and always will be true. So not, not always he has he always been loving, he always is loving, he always will be loving, but he's also always holy. He's also always just. He's also always omniscient and omnipresent. And, and he's all over the place. He knows everything. He's all, present every place. He's, um, um, 
He's immutable. He never changes. And his holiness is just. And even his wrath are all true all the time. So his love is never separated from whatever else he is. God is, is love, but he's not only love. And then the second part of God expresses his love is in with the nature of the Trinity. The Trinity, we as Christians believe in the triune God. There's a one God who exists in a mystery way in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We use the word he exists in three persons. We often get confused by using the word person because we think of individual people. But it's three entities. One God, one essence, one makes him up. But somehow he exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, there's a huge number of reasons why that is important. But one of it is God exists in his very essence in community. He loves, he communicates, he interacts by himself. If he never created anything ever, he would still communicate, he would still love, he'd still be all those things that he is. So God is love and it comes from him. And um, that is who he is. The third thing is, we are created, people are created in the image of God. We are created in his image. We're not exact, we're not little gods, but we are created in him. So there's characteristics that God has that we have that make us unique to the rest of creation, such as our ability to communicate the way we do, the ability to be creative the way we are, the sense of justice that all people have. Everybody in the world has a sense of right and wrong. We might disagree in what right and wrong is, but everybody has a sense of justice. But one of the other things that we create in the image of God is we have a desire for love. We love and we want to be loved. That is unique for all humans. That's because we're created in the image of God. So uh, we love because he first loved us. And we can love because God's love is the source of love. But then John goes on and says something else. He says, we can love all this because God's love is the example of love. God's love, we can love others because God's love is an example of love. Look at verse 9. He says, in this, is, in this the love of God has made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Manifest, made manifest. We don't use that word. It's made obvious. It is, it is disclosed to us. It's demonstrated. It's showed. God, God didn't just love from afar, love a distance, love hypothetically. He had to show that love. He had to express it. Love is a verb. He expressed what the action was. And this is a, not an unusual thing, the way that God loves the world. The, one of the more famous verses of the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we tend to emphasize in this as an example of love. See, God loved the world, so we should love people because God loved people. And that's the example we often look to. But when we look at that quickly to say that's the example of God's love, because God loved the world, we should love the world, we miss the greater depth of what the example of God's love is there. We often overlook the love, the example of love that the triune God acted with themselves. For example, God the Father demonstrates this love. The Father loved the world, so he sent his Son. He loved the world, so he sent his Son. Um, there, he took the initiative. He, he, he took the act. He didn't wait for the world to get its act together. He sent his Son. But even more than that, um, it wasn't the object of the world that made him take action. It was his love for the world. It came from him. Not that the world was so lovable. But what is really amazing about this is God's love for the world is what did God send to take care of the world? His son, okay? His only son. His only son. He sent a number, another member, if you will, of the Trinity. He sent himself. He loved the world, but he, lo- he sent the thing that he loved even more than the world, his son, to take care of the world. That, that is a huge amount of love to be expressed. When you take the most valued thing you have, yourself, the relationship you have for eternity with another member of the Trinity, and say, I love this unlovable object so much, I'm going to express it by sending you, my only son that I love so much. That, that is a huge gap in our understanding sometimes of the example of God's love. We think the world is so lovable, and Christ is saying what makes it valuable is that I sent the most valuable thing I, I mean, God says, the Father, I sent the most valuable thing I had, my own son. That is one way that it's an example 
of, of the love. But there's another way of example that we sometimes miss. And that is the father sent the son. What did the son do? He went. Why did the son go? Why did Jesus come to the world? Because he liked us so much? Because he thought, wow, I, I really get to go and play with the, with the people, with the creation? He loved the Father. We are told that the Son loved the Father, so he obeyed the Father and went. He expressed his love to the Father. The Father, we're told, loves the world. Jesus, we're told, loved the Father. Therefore, he obeyed the Father in love and obedience and went to the world. And, and to die for their sins. We're told in John 14, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. What is one of the major reasons Jesus came to the world in the first place? To demonstrate to the world, I love the Father. He loves me, I love him. Now, Jesus, what, it's amazing if we think about all the things Jesus could have done, but he didn't do. What he, didn't, what he could have done, but he didn't do. He, he, he could have been jealous, right? Hey, we've been, we've been, we love each other for eternity. Now you love this part of creation, this rebellious, unthankful creation, and you want me to go do what? You want me to go die and suffer for these people? You love them that much? Really? He didn't act in jealousy to the Father. You, you want me to sacrifice for some other love? He didn't do that. Or he didn't make excuses. Did he? He says, hey, listen, I'm God. How am I supposed to fit in that human body? It's not going to work. It's going to be very uncomfortable. Okay? He didn't make excuses. He, he, he also didn't provide alternatives, did he? Hey, Father, you know what? This is great, but you and I got a great thing. Why don't we send the Holy Spirit? Hey, he's not doing anything. Nobody ever talks about him. Let's send him. Okay? Why me? Why not him? Okay? And, and, or why don't we just forget this whole sin thing? We'll just pretend it never happened. Or even better, why don't we just destroy the whole thing and start over again? All that would be easy. We're God. That would be easier than me taking on the form of a servant and dying and suffering for them. Because you love them. But Christ didn't do that. Why? Because of his example to us of love. He loved the Father. So he said, you want me to go? I'm going. And Jesus has this expectation that that example of his love will be the example we follow in our love in each other. Paul, to the letter to the Philippians, wrote to them in chapter 2, and he says he wants to encourage them in not just the gospel, but how the gospel is reflected in their love in each other, and that ultimately reflects their relationship with Christ. And he says to them, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if you're Christians, if you have any encouragement, any comfort from love, the love you've received, any participation in the spirit, spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. In other words, love one another. And then he says, bearing in full accord one mind. And then he explains, what does love look like? So Paul says, he says this, he goes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Is that how Christ loved us? Yeah? And that's, how he, and that's how Paul says we're to love one another. Then he goes on. Let each, one, let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is that how Christ loved us? Yes. He didn't look to his own interests. He looked to the interests of others. Primarily the Father, but then the world. And then Paul even continues. He says, have this mind among yourselves. I want you as a people to think this way. And verse 5, which is yours in Christ. This thinking is the way Christ thought. And then he describes Christ coming to earth. He says this, I want you to think this way, just like Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hang on to being God up there with the Father only. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the example of love that we have. And that is also the Christmas story. This is the Sunday before Christmas. We often celebrate many different aspects of the Christmas story. The primary one is the birth of the child. 
of child Jesus, the manger, the, 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 all the different aspects, whatever it is that you think mostly of. But what we sometimes forget, or at least don't dwell on as much, is why was he even born? Why was he born? He was born, the Word tells us, so that the world would know that he loves the Father. That Christmas is an example of how much Christ loved the Father and was willing to obey. Almost also how he loved us. If we say we love God, are we to love each other? Are we to love the world around us? Sure we are. Why? Because Jesus gave us example out of loving obedience to the Father. So we love because he first loved us. And we can love others because God's love is the source of love. And we can love because God's love is an example of love. But there's a third reason. We can love others because God, God's love enables us to love the unlovable. Because God's love allows, enables us to love the unlovable. In verse 10, he says this. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as to be a propitiation for our sins. This, this one verse has a, a, a number of different things we could look at. I'm only going to focus on two and how it, sh- how it enables us to love. First of all, God, uh, God loved us when we were unlovable. How does this enable us to love the unlovable people in our life? You imagine the people in your life that you think you're supposed to love, maybe you know you're supposed to love, but you would label them unlovable, either because they're different than you or or you don't understand them, or maybe they're hurtful to you. Why should we love them? Well, he gives us a reason. God loved us when we were unlovable. God loved us. Look at this. In verse 9, we, we saw that, and this is love, that God made manifest love among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. The emphasis we often mistaken is not that the world is so lovable, therefore he came. It's not that emphasis. It's not the object of love that did it. It's his love that sent him. And that's why in this verse 10 he says, In this is love. You want to know what love is? Here's how to define love. In this is love. Not that we loved God. Not that we loved God. Not that God responded to anything good or lovable about us. But he loved us. Not that we loved God. But he loved us. God loves the unlovable before they love him or even lovable. He, that's how he loves us. It says in Romans chapter 5, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Catch the word. God died for the ungods. The anti-gods. And he goes, For one, for, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare die. But Verse 8, But... God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait till we responded in love. He didn't wait till we were thankful. He didn't wait for us to do anything. It's while we were still sinning and sinners and rebellious and ungrateful to him, he says, I'm going to suffer and die for those people. He loved the unlovable. And, he, Jesus, and the Father sent Jesus to die for the rebellious, ungrateful sinners. And I'm going to pause here because this is huge. We often in our culture switch it around. We reverse the order. We think the reason Christ died for the world, and specifically why he died for us, is because we're so worth it to him. That we're so valuable that we must, deserve, he must, he had it. What else is he going to do? Of course he's going to do that. And we have the reverse. And in so doing, we rob God of his glory. We rob the understanding of the power of the love that God has for us when we reverse the order and say, of course we're lovable, of course he died for us. I'm going to read a quote to you that I've read before. I don't think recently. I try to read at least three or four times a year in a sermon. And yes, it is John Piper, for those who care and keep track of my quotes. (laughs) And... um, and this is, a, well, this is one of those paragraphs that has, it just has a, obviously has had a huge impact in my life. It has a huge impact. We, we get changed. This is also another Piper observation, okay? When we read books, read about, we get changed by lines and paragraphs. We don't get changed by books. When you're reading and you're really impacted by a book, you could probably go to the page of the paragraph that said, wow, I, I know where I was when I sat and read that. This is one of those paragraphs for me. I know where I was when I first read this. 
This is what this is what Piper says. Man-centered humans are amazed that God should withhold life and joy from his creatures. But the God-centered Bible is amazed that God should withhold judgment from sinners. It horribly skews the meaning of the cross when contemporary prophets of self-esteem say that the cross is a witness to my infinite worth since God is willing to pay such a high price to get me. The biblical perspective is that the cross is a witness to the infinite worth of God's glory and and a witness to the immensity of the sin of my pride. What should shock us is that we have brought such contempt on the worth of God that the very death of his son is required to vindicate that worth. The cross stands a witness to the infinite worth of God and the infinite outrage of sin. It took the infinitely costly death of the Son of God to repair the dishonor that my pride has brought upon the glory of God. That is the expression of love. God loved us not when we're lovable, but because of who he was, he loved the unlovable. But that also teaches us something else in, that, in this line, in that, in, uh, that God deals with the sin that makes people unlovable. It'd be one thing if he says, I want you to love the unlovable like I love the unlovable. But it's another thing when God says, not only that, I'm going to take care of the things that make them unlovable. That's my duty, not yours. Yours, as, as people, is to love them. His is to deal with the sin. We see that in verse 10 again. And this is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us first. And, he didn't stop there, and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. And we're like, good, what the heck is propitiation? It's not a word we use at normal lunchtime, do you? I, I encourage you today, all of you, at some point in lunch, use the word propitiation, okay? And now we'll define it so that you can, okay? Propitiation is a good word. It's a biblical word. Um, it basically, we understand it as atonement, as a sacrifice for it to pay for something. It's a sacrifice that absorbs God's wrath. This is specifically what it, the, this propitiation in God's sense is. God We're sinners. We deserve his judgment. We deserve his wrath. That's a real punishment. It's not theoretical. It is real. Think of wrath as being struck by lightning or being strapped to an electric chair and they throw the switch. Wrath is real. We all have the, we are children of wrath without Christ. So we have this lightning bolt pointed at us and Christ stepped in the way and took the zap. Okay? So it's a real thing. Propitiation means that he stepped in front of us. He got shot. He got hit with the wrath of God for all of us. That's a lot of wrath. But not only that, that he also changed places with us so that now we have the favor of God. We don't just not have the judgment and wrath of God, but now we have the grace and mercy, the favor of God. Okay? So he did both for us. That's, that's propitiation. Okay? It's, it's the legal term. For you take the punishment, but not only did you take the punishment, but you get the benefits that you didn't deserve in the first place. Grace is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless, but God made him. Okay, you're sin now. So that... in um, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we not, this is one of the huge things of the cross. We're not only not just forgiven, but we're now sons of God. We're now the beloved. We're now children of God. That's the propitiation. So he didn't just leave us and say, I love them. I wish they hadn't sinned. No, he rolled up his sleeves, if you will, became a human and took care of the sin. Not only my sin, your sin. And the sin of the people that we're supposed to love. It's not just theoretical. This is real. So how can we love the unlovable? And and Christ's death on the cross is where the, the, the love of God and the holiness of God and the justice of God and the wrath of God all meet. Remember I said God's attributes. He is holy. He's just. He's, he's all those things at once all the time. And a lot of the times the world says, oh, we can t- you can talk about God being a loving God. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to object to that. But start talking about God being a just God. 
talk about God being a holy God, talk about God being a wrathful God, then you, you, you lose a lot of hearers. In the cross, that God exercised all those attributes at once, at one time, in the expression of his love. And, and that God's love compels uh, him to deal with the sin. And because he is holy, because he is just, because he has wrath, he doesn't just say, well, forget about the sin. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And I'm going to take care of it for them. That's what God said. And that's what he did. This is one of the mysteries and of the glories of the cross. God's own character, his own essence of who he is, demands justice be served and wrath be poured out in punishment. That same God said, okay, I'm the only one who can do this. I will take that wrath for them. That, that is a mind-boggling mystery truth that brings glory to God. He demands it. He, he demands justice, but he's also the one who provides justice at the same time. That's how the love of God is expressed to us. And Jesus did this out of love for the Father, whom he obeyed, and lo- love for us, who he um, redeemed, bought back, made righteous, became the beloved. God loves sinful, rebellious, ungrateful world and gave himself to save it. And then he calls us to do the same. He calls us to love the unlovable. Not because they're lovable, not because we even like them, not because we understand them, not because we appreciate them, not because maybe they're even hurtful to us. Is that fair? Is that fair that God demands, I mean, he's God, we're not. Is that fair? Is that really true? People are different, they're offensive, they're hurtful, yet we are supposed to love them. We have a choice all the time. Well, Jesus, the numerous places we could look at, Jesus said, he said, you have heard it said, love your, you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Next verse. Why? Why, Jesus? Why should we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? He tells us next verse. So that, this is what, the result, you may be sons of your father in heaven. You may show the world that you're a child of God, a child of the Father of love, by the way you love those who don't love you, who don't deserve your love. And he goes on and says, for that, that, that same God the Father makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and unjust. By the way, rain and good is a very, rain, we think of sun is good, rain is bad. No, in the agricultural society, both are good. God is gracious and merciful. He gives good things to both without, without uh, discrimination. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And that's Jesus' right. We can love the unlovable because that's the way God loves us. In Ephesians, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk or live in love. Why? Why, why should we walk in love as children of, of God? He says, as Christ loved us. If you want to know what it looks like for you to love somebody and lead in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is how we can love, are enabled to love the unlovable. We love because he first loved us. And we can love others because God's love is a source of love, because God's love is an example of love, because God's love enables us to love the unlovable. And fourthly, because God's love is the incentive for love. This one's pretty straightforward. In, that, in verse 11, he says, Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we, al- we also ought to love one another. Beloved, he uses the term of endearment again. He uses, hey, loved ones, I've just talked about this love. You received it. If God loved us that way, shouldn't we love each other the same way? That is, is that's in, in this manner, in this way. What way? Should we not love him in this way? What way? The way that Christ loved us and came and um, took care, uh, loved us and took care of our sin. This is what John meant in 1 John. He says, we love because he first loved us. He first loved us. Now we get to love. I think this is worth unpacking a little bit. In, in Matthew 18, we have the parable of the unmerciful servant. The parable of the guy who refuses to forgive. Okay? Maybe you don't, I don't know if you remember that one, but in, in the parable, Jesus tells this parable, he says, there's this guy who owed his master a million, millions and millions of dollars. Just an outrageous amount of debt that he would never pay off. 
He goes to the master, pleads and begs, Master, have mercy on me. I'll pay, I'll pay back everything you owe, which is a lie. He knew, everybody knew he couldn't do it. So what does the master do? The master says, I will forgive you all your debt. What does that mean? The master absorbed the debt himself. He paid the debt himself. And he set the, he set the servant free. And, he, and the servant goes out, and, he set, and the, the, the parable goes on and says, the servant's going out. He finds another servant that owed him ten bucks. And he grabs that servant and shakes him and demands his money back. And, and the guy says, hey, be, be merciful to me. I, I'll pay you back when I get a chance. And he, and he didn't. He wouldn't be merciful. He threw the guy in jail. Other servants observed this behavior, and it upset them, obviously. The hypocrisy of being forgiven such a huge debt, and then you're going out and grabbing somebody and insisting that they owe you 10 bucks, you pay them back? Really? So they tell the master. The master calls the servant back in. And he looks him, and he looks him in the eye and says, and he, and he confronts him on this. And the master asks him this question. He says, Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? What's the answer to the question? It's a rhetorical question. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. And this parable was told in response to Peter saying, how many times should we forgive our brothers who sins against us? How many, how many is enough? When do I get to stop? And Jesus tells him this parable. Well, answer me this, Peter. Should you not have mercy on the fellow servant if I had mercy on you? Let's change the story a little bit. As a, as a hobby, I rewrite scripture. No, I'm just kidding. So. Um, Let's just change the story slightly. The meaning's still the same, and I think I have a little liberty to change this, but let's change the story slightly. Let's call it the, the parable of the unloving servant. The unloving servant, the servant shows up, and he is broke. He's poor. He, he, he can't feed his family. He's at the end of his rope. So he goes to the master and says, Master, can I borrow 10 bucks? Can I borrow $10? Next payday, I'll pay you back. I promise. And the master says, no, I won't lend you 10 bucks, but what I will do is I'll give you $10 million. You don't have to pay me back. It's yours. Take it. $10 million. And the master, I mean, the servant obviously is just like, this is great. This is awesome. He goes out. But then he runs across somebody who owes him a dollar. And he says, give me my dollar. And not only does he demand that he gets his dollar, but he ridicules the guy for being lazy and good for nothing and, and just a beggar. The guy asks him for a dollar. And he says, no, you, I, I misspoke. The guy asks the guy with the $10 million for a dollar. He begs for one dollar. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you a dollar, you lazy, good for nothing beggar. And people around him say, wait a second. You, you just got $10 million. You can't loan him a dollar? So they tell the master. And the master calls him back in. And the master asks him this question. He says, should you not have loved your fellow servant as I loved you? What's the answer to the question? Of course. Of course. And that's what, that's what John's saying here. Of course. We love because he first loved us. When faced with a person to love, we, we need to ask ourselves, should we not love this person as God has so generously loved us, that's our incentive. We love because he first loved us. We can love others because God is the source of love. God's love is the example of love. God's love enables us to love the unlovable. God's love is the incentive for our love. And lastly, God's love is expressed as we love. God's love is expressed as we love. Look in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God if you love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. He says there, no one has ever seen God. And then he puts on, if, however, we love one another. He's making a contrast there. We don't naturally see God, the, the appearance of God. But if we love one another, the tangible and visible evidence that there is a God and that God lives in us, and that we really know God will be, and has impacted our life, will be demonstrated how? If we love one another. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John 13. We've already looked at it. A new command I give you that you should love one another. Just as I have loved you, in the example, you also are to love one another. 
And then he explains why. By this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you name the name of Christ, that you're followers of Christ, that you're my followers, that you're the beloved if you love one another. They can't see God. and They can't see God's love. But they can see the evidence of God's love by those who name the name of Christ loving each other. And what they get out of that is they give glory to God saying God's love is true. If it's true for them, it might be true for me. And the world sees the love of God. They experience the love of God by our loving each other and loving them. Love is an emotion. It's a virtue. It's an action. But it has to be expressed. God manifested his love by doing things. Sending the Son, the Son going. He's a God shows love by action. The Son obediently went. One of the things we need to remember about love, which is so pretty obvious, but sometimes I think the way we treat love is, is not so obvious. Love is not an attainment. Love is not an acquisition. You can't hoard love. Can you? You, you can't gather it in. It's unlike things like knowledge. You can get more and more knowledge and g- gain knowledge and wealth and other things, but you can't hoard love. You, you can't bring it in and keep it. The only way to get more love is what? You get rid of it. You give it away. That's the principle. The more we love, the more we understand and comprehend God's love for us. The more difficult it is for us to love, and sometimes it is difficult. Let's just be honest. It is difficult. But it's in those times that we understand the depth and the difficulty of, and the, the depth, I should say, not the difficulty, the depth of God's love for us. And not only that, but he says in verse 12, he says, No one who's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Perfected doesn't mean made perfect in the way we use it. It means, it means to be accomplished, fulfilled, completed. In other words, as we love, and, and God's love is in us, he then sees it, and it's, it's, it's the, um, the repercussions of that love, the manifestation of the, the, sh- the, sh- the, sh- the re- uh, fruit of that love, is demonstrated so people see what God's love is. Not, it's not like God's love is deficient, so we need to love each other to make up what's missing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that it's perfected, it's accomplished, it's fulfilled. God's love has reached its fulfillment when the people who have experienced his love love back and love others. In John 15, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you should bear much fruit so that, and to prove to be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Live, stay connected to my love. Implying you could get disconnected from that. Not eternally, but in, in your experience. He goes, then he goes on, goes on. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, his love for the Father is the example for us. These things I have said to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be filled. The joy that Christ experienced with the Father and that joy of, of, of expressing love to each other is the joy he wants us to experience as we learn to express the love for each other. But John also has a warning. John has a warning. In John, and we've been using as our theme verse, John 1, excuse me, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. That's what I want you to walk away with today. We love because he first loved us. Verse 20, the very next thing he says. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does not for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. He tells us of the generosity of God, the example of God. We love because he first loved us. But he also gives an immediate warning. If you say, if you say that but then turn around and not love others. 
we're liars and we really do not understand the love of God for ourselves. That's the repercussions of that. We look today in what it means to love more. We love because he first loved us. We love others. We can love others because God's love is a source of love, an example of love. It, is, uh, it enables us to love the unlovable. It's an incentive for our love, and it, it is expressed as we love. As we go into communion, we're having one communion table, anticipating not a massive crowd today. Um, we have one communion table, and that's okay. It's one, just, we share that together. But up there is, on the ver- is a verse of 1 John uh, 4.19. We love because he first loved us. As you go up, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, if you, res- if you have responded to the gospel in repentance and faith, we invite you to share in the Lord's Supper. And in doing so, as you go up, I'm going to ask that you think, not in this Christmas season, not just of all the things that it's, that's good about Christmas, which there are many. I also want you to think and pray together with, you, with yourselves or with other people. Those, those words, we love, or you can say specifically, I love because he first loved me. What does that mean? And just be thankful for that. The Lord's Supper and some uh, expressions of it, we'll talk about this next week, is called the Eucharist. Because you might have had a specifically a Roman Catholic background. All that means is the thanksgiving. Communion is an opportunity for us to give thanksgiving to God for his death and his resurrection on our behalf. And I invite you to do that. Let's pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you loved us in such a way that's so real, so tangible, that we can be, hopefully, without doubt. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship, we can respond in joy, respond in worship to your generosity to us in Christ. We thank you again for that. We thank you, Lord, that you're a loving God that loves. We thank you that you're a loving God that sends. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're an obedient son who out of your obedience to the Father goes and suffers and dies on our behalf and that we also can share in your love and express your love. We thank you for this, Lord, in your precious Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.